This is um, uh, the Made in Bristol podcast. This is Nick, and I am just off to see uh, my good friend and Bristol technical luminary, Nick Alpi. Um, Nick uh, co-runs... Um, a software house, a rail specialist in Bristol, has done for a few years with his wife Natalie. He's an exacting man. Um, I've worked kind of for slash with him in the past. Yeah, he was pretty critical of my JavaScript, but that's okay. That's okay. I can live with that. I think we're going to talk about what is good enough in terms of uh, delivering software, which is a subject that is very contentious, uh, but also very close to my heart. So it's been a great week. What's been going on? I uh, waved uh, the Griff off uh, to the United States. He's out there doing some user testing. So I'll probably speak to him. It was very cute. He wrapped up his MacBook Pro in a little handkerchief and uh, suspended it from a staff and made his merry way off to California. Yeah, we'll talk to him, I imagine, at some point and see how he's getting on. Let's see how this one goes. more about attitude to development. I think that you can get lost in a certain self-indulgence when it comes to development, where there is often a very right way of doing something, but it's often seen outside of the context of the project, such as the technical stakeholder, uh, the time frame, the budget, the amount of people that are likely to be using the application and I know from a developer point of view it can be very frustrating to feel that you're cutting corners but it's actually very difficult to get a pragmatic view of how to solve a problem particularly as developers I think a lot are um, nervous about the scrutiny of their peers and are worried that they're likely to be judged, particularly with web, because one of the unusual things about web is that you send your code. It's mainly scripting languages, 
So whether it be JavaScript or HTML, and it's there, it's all laid bare for people to look at and, and pour over. And we do do that. We do do that as developers. Hmm. <laughs> we, you know, particularly if we've seen something that's working in a way that we've not seen before or, or wondering how someone has solved a problem, we will look and see how that works. Yeah, and you don't need to obfuscate your JavaScript that. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> it's just five minutes of our time wasted. <laughs> yeah, totally. We'll just put it for a JavaScript beautifier and then we'll just see exactly what you wrote. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I think that, that that is a real contentious part of development. You know what? There are a couple of components that want to be perfect, like payments. Payment system, yeah, spend as much time as you need to get that sorted perfectly and we've got all the edge case sorted. Now, some sort of alert system, yeah, it's fine, just do it. And it doesn't have to be perfect in terms of back-end code or front-end code. It's like, it, just do it, it has to be done. So what I'm trying to inject into my guys is this idea of baby steps. Because again, once a developer does a feature for us, the life cycle of a feature is going to be, okay, I'm done, I'm finished, or at least I think I'm finished, that's pushed into a staging server then one of our PM is going to look at it and say, yeah, that matched the acceptance criteria. Then the QA is going to pass and say, yeah, that actually works as it should. And then the client is going to have a look at it and say, yeah, that works as I wanted it to work, basically. And across all those points, you've got so many ways for the feature to actually fall. So I much prefer to say, yeah, you know what? Two baby steps, go for like something simple at the beginning if you think that it's going to be something big, just go with something very, very simple that just proves the concept of the feature. Once that's working, everybody's happy about the proof of concept. Let's do another round of polishing around it. If you need refactoring time, you're going to have it. If you need polishing time in terms of UI, you're going to have it. But, but it starts it, with the baby steps. But isn't it a case that you always need refactoring time? You know, it's an infinitely complex task. I mean, I often think about there's a jQuery plugin that polyfills placeholders. We don't use it so much anymore because uh, obviously we're all working with browsers that um, natively support placeholder or on the whole. Yeah, we are, not our <laughs> not <the> users. <laughs> oh, come on. It's, this, it's, a long, it's been a long time since uh, everything supported placeholder. Uh, I, I10, I think, do not support... Or anything no, under I10 Well, not, not wanting to dwell on the detail, but I think I10, you can't style it. I think one of the interesting things is that when you look at the plugin uh, that polyfills it, it's such a simple thing to do. Uh, has been under constant development for about three years. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's always, you know, there's always something that you could be doing to do it better. And uh, yeah, but um, it's about knowing when to stop. Like if you're if you're maintaining an open source project, sure, your code is going to be used by thousands of people, hopefully. So you want that code to like cater for every single edge case. Now. If your code is like a closed source code used in your app, if that part is not refactored, it's not so much a big deal. It has to be written in a way that people can understand it. Now, sometimes we have to be careful with refactoring because I've seen refactoring going the wrong way. It's like 
taking a code that, yes, was not very concise, but perfectly understandable, going line through line, you can understand what was going on. And then people will undertake this massive refactoring for the sake of, I don't know, having a better grade on code climate or uh, reducing line numbers, whatever that is, like just going through the sake of refactoring. And you make this code that, yes, is beautiful, but nobody else can understand except you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to be careful with refactoring for the sake of refactoring sometimes. Sure, but that I think when you say it's about knowing when to stop, when do you know when to stop? That's not straightforward. I think it's a, it's a hard answer if you're running out of time. If you're, no, if you if you're running out of time, it's an easy answer. You do not refactor, unfortunately. <laughs> That's easier. As much as we love to, if you're running out of time, you do your best to write some clean code, but unfortunately, you may have to skip the refactoring part. If say say you don't you're not running out of time, you got I think you've got two views on that. The first one is you're a freelance solo developer, solely responsible for a whole project. In that case, it's gonna be hard for you to decide when to stop or not. And again, it, it might goes down to like time and budget and these kind of things. Yeah. But if you're within a team, you can consult other people in the team and say, well, look, I've got this code. Is it worth it to transform it this way or this way or to refactor it or whatever? That's usually when like the other guys in your team are going to ask you questions about why you want to do this refactoring, what's going to be beneficial about it, whether it's like performance, whether it's just it's normally beauty of codes, it's normally whether it's maintainability. Yeah, maintainability. maintainability. It's going to sound like very um, pedantic, but I think we're quite lucky in a sense that we do write some maintainable codes straight away or we've always had this mindset of anybody else can actually overtake the code and we don't want to do to produce bad code effectively so the code is always okay-ish at least um it could do with refactoring sometimes we we do undertake refactoring uh, a lot of time but the refactoring is only after the feature is done it's like okay works the feature is done the tests are passing now let's see if I can actually make that slightly better. But the, the, I, I think that the need to refactor often creeps up on you. I think with all the will in the world, it's very hard to second guess what makes maintainable code as you go. I think that what you're describing in terms of peer review, whilst it is incredibly useful and does end up in good quality software, it could be seen as an ins- a bit of a self-indulgence. I mean, that's one of the things that you don't you don't need to do that to deliver the project on time. No. And I think you can defend that uh, at the point of when you are estimating a project. But it's one of those meta meta things that only really service the development process. And it's the same to say it's then with unit testing. You know, they don't equal feature, they don't equal buttons on pages. Ultimately, they equal stability and they prevent you having that kind of horrendous kind of clown car scenario where, you know, you change the button colour there and then all of a sudden all, none of your forms work anymore. And it highlights it before they go out the door. On the actual test, unit acceptance or whatever, we're going to disagree on that one. Yeah. To, me, to me, they are 
they are extremely important. Not everything needs to be tested, but they are extremely important. And more than important for us backend devs, they're extremely helpful because they, they help us shaping the actual code of the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, um, I don't disagree that for, for a second. And when you're, when you're I mean, going back to the point, when you're making that decision, you're going to prioritise some of the things that don't necessarily equal feature that allows you to deliver. Yeah, and from if for, you have if you have to prioritize between the three, it would be test first, code second, and then refactoring last. And if you don't have the time to refactor, unless you really, again, it goes down to your level. Like if you're a junior developer, you're most likely to produce bad codes than if you're a very experienced developer because straight away you will almost write better code. Or you know when to split into different libraries or services, whatever you want to call them. Or you, your, your eyes becomes almost used to recognize patterns. Like, oh, hang on, that, what I'm doing here, like I'm doing a bit too much here, it becomes a bit unmaintainable. I'm going to split that somewhere else in a library or in a service. And Sure, but that, again, that's just that's experience, isn't it? Uh, yes, that's experience, and that's why it's, it must be really hard for a junior to actually judge on those. Yeah. But as as you become like mid or senior, that is your responsibility here to like recognize those patterns, learn to see them as you shape the feature, and act on them right now instead of waiting the refactoring time. Hmm. Um, but. I mean, what is most important? Because what I found is that development is a very kind of binary task. Things work, they don't work. Things are delivered on time, things are late. There's no kind of like shades of grey. Unlike, say, maybe something like visual are we, design. Are we both working on the web? <laughs> yeah, because for me sometimes they work on my machine and they don't work on oh yeah so therefore they, and, and so therefore they don't work yes yeah, so, um, um, uh, okay, or so, worse they work on their machine they don't work on mine yeah. <laughs> that's even worse yeah but but I think that um, yeah it, well okay so maybe those things are, are shades of grey <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent and yeah, okay, so things need to work on the whole. <laughs> you, you know, there are many ways of tackling getting to that position as there are developers. There's no, there, there's no, there seems that, you know, there's lots of opinion about what is the right way to do things, but there doesn't seem to be a canonical uh, approach to development. And I think that actually what happens is, is that the, the, the where to stop is just basically where you're prepared to compromise. And often, doing the things around maintainability and, and doing the, the, the things around uh, the beauty of code help you out, but they don't necessarily help your client because the client's happier to spread perhaps the technical debt associated with uh, maintain, maintenance over the life cycle of the project. Well, so... Well, they're never going to understand, they're never going to understand the, the, the intricacies of it and they're never going to see... It's almost impossible, in my experience, to, uh, to, to communicate the benefits of it because ultimately things still serve HTML in a browser and as long as that is, is happening, everyone's kind of happy. As much as it's nice when they do get it and they do understand it, if this is the way your company work, if this is the way you produce code and this is the way you're filling 
secure about the work that you're producing like okay we we know yeah we know we're going to write unit tests so therefore we might take slightly longer than somebody that doesn't write them considerably longer though isn't it no I, I, I was reading that it can add at least up to 40%. I would not say that. I would say probably 10, 15%, hmm. certainly. But then it's then automatically a bonus when you think about like debugging, when you think about adding a new feature. Like all that time that you, yes, have spent writing, writing um, tests you will not spend it in retesting the whole application just because you've changed the font size. You see what I mean? It's like, or I don't know, you've changed the variable somewhere and then all of a sudden you have to retest everything. We, we've got the, one of those like legacy support secure project that we had to um, take it over for somebody else. And it's like test is inexistent. Like we had one test that was the on-page launches. <laughs> And that's about it. That's, that's pretty good, easy to test that. Yeah, yeah. And like <laughs> the rest of the rest of the app, I mean the app is massive and it sells stuff and there is money and like everything you can dream of going wrong. Nothing of that it tested. And basically that means that when we took over, the first thing we did is like for every single feature we touched, we wrote tests in order to understand what was going on. Mm. And we actually discovered bugs. While writing tests, we discovered bugs. So it's like those those tests are for us it's the way we work it's not something we are willing to compromise on because that's the way we work now if you're not happy about that there are plenty of other shops that we not write tests and why not it's another way of doing to me that they they have to be part of your tool sets and it's not to say that every single liner should be tested and you should have a test ratio of one-on-one -on -one for each line. It, no, that doesn't make sense. But there are some things more important than others. And again, you, you can think about different things like the login, for example, or the different scenarios that happen when you're logged in, non-logged in. Everything that evolves around payment um, and every single edge case that you can think around payment. Uh, those ones for me, having not tested them, having not been tested, you're going to waste so much time in QA every single time you're doing something or, or you're going to do what most of those agencies do, which is you don't do QA. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and you're just like, yeah, well, again, deploying, because, because hope, for the, hope for the best. And but that's another one of those things, isn't it? It's the uh, <clears throat> um, uh, QA doesn't equal feature. No. It doesn't equal more things that the application does, which uh, um, is ultimately what everyone pays for. So yeah, it's it's, it's kind of a it's, it's a bit of a weird one really because again, coming from client side now, there are very clear business objectives, and a lot of them revolve around timescales, um, whether it be specific events or um, any other thing. Yeah, but um, as long as so, if you got if you go those calendar of of events that need to happen, and within within um, these calendar of events, one of the one of the events evolves around I don't know launching an app, and in order to launch these apps, you require this um, external agency to create the app for you. Ideally, you would not be a stupid person. And you would actually explain that to the agency and say, yeah, it has to be live by that date because 
this will happen, X, Y, Z will happen afterwards. So if the urgency is not stupid, I say, okay, it has to be live by that date. Let's put like a two weeks buffer. So it has to be live two weeks before. Therefore, we only have X amount of days to do that. Can we do it? Yes or no? And now it's the responsibility of the agency that is in place. It's like, can we do it? Yes or no? It's okay to say no. Actually, it's surprising how people will not say no just because they're like, oh, we have to do it and we're going to make it work. Most of the time when you think, oh, we're going to find a way, that never works. It's like, if, if yeah. you truly believe it's going to work, do it. If you truly believe, or if you think that, no, it's not going to work, we're going to blow it off, uh, but we want the money, then it's probably not a good decision <laughs> to take that job on. Yeah, I mean, but I, I, you can kind of see how it happens, because I think that uh, um, from the perspective of an agency, your client's happiness validates the organization as a, you know, any, any agency, all they're really trying to do is uh, deliver. And I think that actually you can see, particularly if those uh, decisions are being made in um, uh, client services, you know, an account director is always going to try and make something fit, particularly if it's well in advance, because then you've got lots of time to worry about how that actually, <laughs> actually works. But I think that that, that's another thing is that, um, um, that process is always going to be flawed because one of the things that I've discovered as well, working client side now, is that uh, tech no longer has that account direction buffer. <laughs> so, so basically people come to you directly. I mean, they're also on the project team, which which is worth its weight in gold, but also there's now a lot of time associated with explaining yourself, um, figuring out how to manage certain communications, that's normally absorbed by a client services team who, yeah, may be making some um, horrendous decisions about when things should be delivered, but just as an administrative task throughout the process, they save a lot of time. You know? And I think that, that that's an interesting thing is the, the, that when you bring in the elements of the business, because business is so ephemeral to a certain extent, um, so decisions are made, things have to be acted on them, things have to be delivered, things have to be delivered in, in series or parallel, depending on what you're doing. It's, it is very often that, you know, as, as we were talking about, done, done is better than perfect. You know, if you miss any of those, it, there's all sorts of other project teams on all sorts of other different styles of projects that essentially then start getting into a position where they can't deliver either. And it gets into a mess very quickly. Yeah, um, but... So the done is better than perfect in the scenario to me is like, you know you've got a month to launch app x that is part of a whole calendar of event and it's only like a tiny cog in a machine and there are plenty of other things that depend on app x being launched as long as everybody's clear on that which is app x has to be launched the most important part of app x are payment login has to be perfect the rest you can get corners job done you've, you've got your requirements yeah and it's the role of the project manager to say let's do it and let's make a plan for it to work but i found we're in an unbelievably strange industry whereby production and research and development tend to run parallel and we're all on a voyage yeah, of discovery 
Yeah, but it's, it's just the way that it works out because, the, 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 you know, pro- projects will start, you'll think you'll have the answer, but the answer actually unfolds over the course of the project. And essentially what I've found is that very early on, any plans that you might have made just quickly go out of the window. You kind of get that uh, that scenario where you require things of the client and the client has to deliver a, a certain interval for you to be able to do the things that you need to do. But it's never as straightforward as that because the client will never deliver um, in time because nobody ever delivers anything in time. The problem is, is it never halts the project. It never stops the project. Uh, the project still goes on because it still needs to be done. At those particular instances, perhaps what should happen is to go, look, you've, you've missed your window, but it's also a window. It's not a case that if you deliver this three days late, we'll pick it up in, in three days. Actually, you've missed this deadline, and so therefore we have to reevaluate the entire project based on the fact that we've got other stuff to do and we've got other things that are going to be delivered by other clients that we then will have to... You know, the knock-on effect is just not that particular project. But... That's very unhelpful. That's very unhelpful from the perspective of a client. That's what I found is that that actually you can get wrapped up in the litigiousness of, of project management and you can make very clear statements about when things have to be delivered. And you can also be very clear about what happens if those things aren't delivered. But it's very, very rarely have I ever seen that that carried through. Because it's because it's just not it just because essentially what it what is happening is that there will probably be some sort of immutable event that's further down the line that you can't really have a sensible conversation about saying actually now we're a week adrift and we uh, um, we're now not going to deliver in time. So I think that a lot of those kind of scenarios don't really come out of the theoretical. They they they're very rarely put into practice. They're not put into practice that's for true and they do happen but I think they can be mitigated by communication and I think I think what a loads of agencies our side um, do not do well is actually communication with clients and that's probably even more important than code is actually your communication with your clients because if you see that, <clears throat> you, you, if you're a PM, you're supposed to have this master plan on how to deliver the project on time, on budget and everything, okay? And we know it's hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's probably one of the hardest jobs on the planet is being a project manager for long deadline. Mm. Um, <clears throat> maybe not the hardest job on the planet. <laughs> okay. Hardest job in an agency, okay? <laughs> That's not, yeah. um, not yeah, on the planet, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. But... The so you, you know that I don't know clients needs to give give you certain assets or certain documents or certain text by these date these date these date. Now obviously, if you expect the client to give you those things on the date, that's what you're doing wrong. It's like you should be proactive about it. And if you've got regular touch point, I'm not talking about like everyday communication, but if you have at least touch point two or three times a week with the client. Now is the time to say like, yeah, um, Nick, we're supposed to have those documents in two weeks. How are you going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, now, but, now, now you've got your red flag. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But what will happen as, <clears throat> as, you know, everyone will leave it to the last minute. And actually what happens is, is they don't uncover the scale of what they have to do <laughs> until it's too late. I mean, this is, this is life. It happens. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's not as bad as people want to believe.
believe it is if you if you cater for the fact and that's why I always say like all our dates are always birther accountable so we never work on real dates we always work with like one week birther kind of yeah, thing yeah so you've got an birther. internal deadline and an external deadline exactly so and, and if the client has to produce something for us to start working say on the first of the month the deadline for the client would probably be like 10 days before that yeah. so we have a buffer hence why we probably don't notice that much yeah they are late but they st- we still have it on time kind of thing yeah. um, um, but I, I think I, I suppose <clears throat> the ingredient that, that needs to be added to that is the amount of briefs that are taken I mean we've, we, we found this on a recent project ourselves being client side is that we formulated a brief we put it out to pitch that took far that longer first mistake well why why I hate pitching well, that, that's, that's why we didn't send it to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that in itself, that process took longer than, than, than was expected. But even, you know, the genus of the project, there was, there was a deadline. So what tends to happen is that that hasn't been handled internally. So the project's already probably half late when you've engaged someone to start working on it before it's even been scoped or planned yeah or, but that's um, your responsibility yeah and you should not push that down the throat of but nothing changes side. that's the thing is the the, the urgency of that <clears> project it doesn't get less urgent because it's taken you a long time to find someone to do it yeah but the scale has been reduced in that case yeah but then again you know arguably <clears> it's still got to do the things that it's got to do uh, and the, the, I suppose the interesting point is that um, uh, no one really discusses that, but particularly the compromise about going to a third party for economy of scale and the fact that actually you're probably better off doing it in-house if you could, but ov- obviously most of the time you, you can't. Um, but yeah, a lot of these uh, uh, projects are generally uh, doomed to go to run over by, before you've even received the email to say, would you like to do it? <laughs> So I suppose in conclusion, you know, if it were posed as a question is is perfect, better than done, I'd always go for done. Always. Yeah. Always. True. I was always going for done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, perfect as his place. I mean, and, and actually you it, can post-rationalise perfect into being done. <laughs> is true. it done? Yes, perfect. <laughs> I would say for, for the part that you want perfect, you're probably most likely to outsource them. Like... Again, we go back to this example of payment. Payment is not something... Yeah, get you it wanna... off the shelf, buy it in. Exactly. You, you, you don't want to go and do your own payment system. You, you're going to use somebody else. Yeah. Um, if you talk about, I don't know, lo- oh God, okay. Um, I've, met, I've met these guys, I'm not going to name drop here. Uh, I've met these guy recently and um, he, was, he was chatting about, like, I was asking him what, what was his first task at his previous job and apparently they spend like two months in a raise app okay it's not like something exotic it's raise app they spend two months writing an authentication system uh to do that and they are like probably two or three of the largest libraries in rails are authentication libraries that yeah. doesn't make sense to me if you spend your time redoing that not only that doesn't make sense, but on top of that, you're adding like security issues and everything. Yeah. Um, so for stuff that you really want perfect, for stuff that are security 
dependence, then yeah, you're going to use anyway a third party, whether it's an open source library or an off the shelf solution or something, and for the rest, go with them. And for the purposes of record keeping, where are you? I am in New York on Barclay Street and Barclay Street Broadway. Um, and what are you doing there? Uh, Work-wise, I am here <laughs> to do um, user interviews. Um, what are you expecting to happen when you've done these user interviews? Uh, yes, yeah, so we're hoping to improve on, um, well, we're hoping to build a new version of uh, an internal piece of software, which, uh, yeah, so we're doing user interviews to better understand our users. I believe, is it Toyota? I, I, I learned from our last um, customer, they, there's a phrase that Toyota used for, their, for, for, for what we're doing now, and I think it's called Genji Gimbit, Gimbitsu or something like that. I can't remember. They pronounce it. It just means go and see. And it's, you know, it's been lightning already. And I've only seen one person. Yeah, there's <laughs> one, lo- one company. There's lots of that. There's also Kaizen as well, which is a continuous improvement um, or uh, continuous efficiency, I think it is. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Um, uh, which is also kind of a, a kind of an organisational paradigm. or um, But it, it applies more to... To, uh, supply chain and distribution, but um, I've read some fantastic articles on those sort of, sorts of things and how that they're applied. But um, so how was so you were in California beforehand? Sunny California, I say sunny California. It was it was cooler than it is here in New uh, York. So yeah, you were in California. Whereabouts in California were you specifically? In a place called Long Beach. Oh okay, right. Yeah, no, that's quite a famous place, isn't it? I've heard of Long Beach. Yeah, it's funny. I've heard of Long Beach as well. And California is beautiful, but Long Beach is quite a sort of an industrial area. Like it's not as I've heard of Long Beach before, but I didn't realise it was just sort of yeah. It's just it's kind of a it's a bit of an in between place. And are you finding that um, not wanting to make any generalisations, but are you finding that um, the working style is different? What 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 is it like to work with Californians? Is it any different? <laughs> Yeah, so Californians, they, it was interesting, they had a very similar um, attitude to work that we're used to, I guess, in digital, but then that's because that, that company themselves are a digital startup, so it's not, it's not that surprising. It, I was shocked how similar it was, the, the banter and the, uh, and the sort of, and also their uh, working time, they worked very hard. But they very flexible, you know, on the when they start, when they do. Right. Even though they do have to give, so because they're basically a service company, um, they provide car dealerships with communication, like a piece of software that does communication payments. 
they have to support it for, well, they choose to support it for 12 hours of the day. Right. So they're in from 7 and then they've got to shift from 7 till 2 and then I think um, from midday till 7 or something like that. But yeah, so, but it's, um, they seem, you know, like the environment company is quite relaxed. But I think that's more to do with startup than to do with Californians. Hmm. Because actually that company is, uh, has an Indian founder and a company in India as well. So, yeah. so it's kind of, it's half and half. Yeah, okay. Have you, have you just got to New York now? Or, um... No, so I got to New York uh, yesterday in the morning. And yeah, it's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it's as horrific as you imagine. Even when we came, even when I came, um, the first trip just to California, even in like premium economy, it's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just not fun. <laughs> like I'd like to say it's all lovely and uh, and um, jet setting, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just pain. And then you wake up at the end and it's fine. Have they been receptive to the user testing? Has it been something that they've been used to, or um, is it something that's relatively new to them? So, so far, um, very receptive. The guy, I'm only seeing one guy here in New York, um, and they seem receptive, but obviously, you know, we can't chase them, bash them over the head, so I've been trying to sort of very gently like carouse them into talking with us and yeah. while I was in California I was talking with the people I'm going to see here in New York and um, you know they've eventually agreed but all all that I was able to get them to agree to really was the very first sort of chat even yeah. with the ones I saw in California they were really receptive they were you know and once I was there you know it was very good and very easy to sort of work with them and talk with them but it, it's interesting how there's really there's really not much useful you can do before you have just a first turn up and chat with them. Say, hey guys, I want to take up some of your time. And, um, you know, you're not going to get anything out of it except for an improved uh, interface or an improved design of the software you use. Yeah. But, um, but they, were, they were really into it, really. They were actually, you couldn't be more open to having someone come in and and uh, try and do all sorts of testing with them because um, they, they're in that piece of software 24 hours a day. Yeah. They're, they're literally, that software, they're in, that's probably the, the software they use the most out of the entirety of their day. So, so is, they're, is, well, they're well up and In fact, without me even prompting, they asked to be part of the, um, the beta of, any, of the new version. Yeah, yeah, cool. So did um, do you think that there are any kind of subtle t- subtle differences between um, US and UK users? Is that something that you've observed? Are they are they more frank or uh, and direct? I get the I don't know why I think it's a massive generalisation, but I've got it in the back of my mind that that's um, what they'd be like. But or or are they or, or uh, yeah, I mean, how how is that? Is there a contrast or is it just the kind of same old stuff? Higher here, so you know, compared to what you would expect in the UK, but then at the same time, I think in reality, it's more to do with their person difference than it is to do with them um, as different American users. They are an American company providing support just like ours, they are a payment company just like we are, so they are kind of 
because they're distributors, they, uh, they're not resellers, they're distributors. They're in a way providing the same service as us because they just wrap what we make in their piece of software and add a couple of things, uh, you know, add some fancy cherries and stuff to it. Yeah. And um, as such, they provide their own support. And what they're doing every day is, is comparing our support and our software with their own. And, and you know, making all sorts of um, um, sort of decisions and assumptions. That's more the reason why, for example, this company is probably quite, they're very, you know, they'll very easily go, well, that's not good enough. And that's for fair reason, because they make, you know, they make basically the same software or software that does the same thing. Um, they, you know, they're a tech company like we are. And, you know, they have customers in the same way we do. And they, when they see us not matching something that they're doing, they consider it not to be good enough. Yeah, sure. Which is totally fair enough. Yeah. And, and it's also, we've got sort of a layer of, there's a layer of opacity in them being over here in the US. There's, there's a number of things in the whole process of what we do, not just in the piece of software we make, but in the way that they use it, that is just not... And until you're sitting there chatting with them, it's just not clear and obvious. Mm. Do you know what I mean? How, how it literally, how our software literally affects the amount of money they're taking. You know, they're literally making, you know, less or more money depending on how good our software is. Sure, sure. Which is, which is you know, and people are getting angry with them if stuff to do with us is going wrong. Mm. And, um, yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. You know, like with tone and things like that, we have our own support team, and when they give support, we know the tone, and we know how we internally talk about, you know, external companies, you know, oh, it's so-and-so, so da 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 and there's internal banter and so on that, you know, is just normal. But um, you sort of come to their offices, and you can kind of see, yeah, like it really, like a, tiny, a small thing to a very small thing to us can make a huge difference. To literally their entire day. Sure. You know, someone someone could be staying in for an extra seven hours mm. in the day because something's gone wrong. Mm. And the, if the tone's off, if the tone is, yeah, great, we're done. Or, oh, you've had an error. Mm. You, you know, it just, it doesn't, you know, it can help and it cannot help. So, um, like sorry to interrupt, but um, are you bringing back the gold? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yeah, yeah. So, it was dead useful. Yeah. Really useful. I think it was more the them as a distributor. I don't know if it's got it's, it's got no, really got nothing much to do with them being an American company at all. Because to me, they were very much the same. The way they work as a software company, their understandings of usability. There was a guy there sharing a book with me about. Um, he called it customer development, and it was basically it's exactly what we're doing now. But it's more CX customer experience than yeah, UX yeah, yeah. user experience. So it was just a slightly wider book. It was an interesting book because I was having a read of it on the plane um, over to New York, and it's you know it's exactly the same principles that we're trying to work towards. Um, but they were very impressed by us coming to visit. They're very happy. They were happy that we were listening. Yeah. Like you, 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 but as you said before, I went away. It is. It, I was actually surprised at how um, how good an effect it had on our relationship with them. Mm. 
I think you know my visits probably been the probably had the most positive effect on us as a company with them than any other thing we've done with them. Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, that which, kind of goes goes without saying. Which, yeah, sorry. Which which I know we said we said before I went away. Well, you said to our boss, you were saying, um, oh, you know, it, it'll be a good thing. You know, it's it's nothing but great customer service, and mm. um, it's only a good thing. You know, when we're trying to sort of sell the trip over. But it, it really is. Like, it really, like, I bet you it's improved. It's improved. It will have improved our relationship by quite a lot. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because especially when, when we're so far away and communication can be a bit difficult, having someone in the room is just such a sort of breath of fresh air, I think, compared to being, you know, at the other side of a Zendesk ticket. Yeah, or the yeah. other side of a, a support interface. And yeah. it, it, I, I, I thought it would be quite nice, and they'd be like, oh, this is nice. But they were really, they really appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, they really, um, yeah, they, it was, it definitely did a lot of good. Yeah. All right, so have you bought me a present? <laughs> I have, I've got a California present. I'm uh, trying to figure out who your present That's amazing, <laughs> that's amazing. How expensive were they? Were they expensive? They were horrendously expensive. Okay, that's fantastic. That's all you need had, to say. Had to have them chipped over yeah. on their own. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, right. I will see you in a bit. Okay, I'll speak to you later. See you. Bye. Okay, bye. Well, that was interesting. Um, episode two. Uh, yeah, apologies uh, for the rabbit. <laughs> but uh, you know that's just how it goes sometimes in uh, web development um, so we're still uh, working on our first event um, but I had some interesting conversations yesterday um, with uh, a couple of other people that I think are going to um, really come through on the talks um, which is excellent. Also, um, may have wangled the use of a uh, hundred-seater auditorium <laughs> in, in the centre of Bristol. So I'm not quite sure we're there yet, but uh, it's nice to know I've got that in the back pocket. Uh, so um, keep in touch um, on the website, uh, madeinbristol.io. Um, and the Twitter um, at Made in Briz uh, and the SoundCloud which you can link to from the website and uh, yeah we'll let you know uh, when it's all kicking off um, speak to you soon